Business Women Rock, Episode 10. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock Podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible businesswomen. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. Welcome to the 10th episode of the Business Women Rock podcast. If you know that your social media presence can be a lot more engaging and sticky than what it is, then go see the team at Kim Media Strategies. Go to kimmediastrategies.com forward slash BWR. Ladies, I am so excited you're here today. I'm so, so happy that you have chosen to take out some time and listen to this interview today. And I really just want to say a huge thank you to you. I have absolutely loved the interaction. Thank you so much for all of the comments on Facebook. Thanks for the shares. And thank you for going to bizwomenrock.com and commenting about the shows that you're hearing. I love hearing back from you. I love hearing what you're experiencing on the other end of these interviews. So please keep on talking to me. Shoot me an email, katie at bizwomenrock.com. And let me know your thoughts about the interview. Let me know whose story you really connected with and what that meant for you. I would love to hear from you. I'm really excited about our guest today. Andrea Houston is the CEO and founder of Artitudes Design. It is a full-service graphic design company based out of Seattle, Washington, and she's amazing, not only because she's built her company from just one person up to 17 people and has grown it into a $1.7 million company, but also because she puts just so much time and energy into giving back to the community and has actually created a nonprofit that does wonders in the Seattle area, which has even earned her a Stevie Award back in 2011. She's incredible. You're going to love this story. So turn up the volume. The interview starts now. Andrea, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm really excited to be able to share your story with all of our listeners today. You have such a unique story and a really powerful one on how you've built Artitude's design. And so I want to really be able to share that with everyone today. But I want to start at the beginning. So can you share with us a little bit about what your life looked like before you started your company? Sure. I started in the design industry in 1988. I was a technical illustrator for an engineering firm that specialized in energy management systems. So the technical illustration stuff that I did was very, very dry. In fact, when I started, we didn't even have computers on our desk. That happened about six months into my job. I got a little tiny Mac, one of the putty-colored Macintoshes that had first come out. I started there in 88 and worked my way up from the bottom of the totem pole all the way to the creative services lead uh, before the company was acquired by a French firm, and they laid me off. In 19, I believe it's 1994, um, the next week they called me up. They'd laid my entire team off of six people, and they called me up and said, wait, we don't have anyone to implement uh, our brand change. Can you please come back? So I told them I'd come back, but I would come back as a contractor. And right then I decided to open a business. It was called Artitude's Layout and Design back then uh, because I wanted to control my own destiny. I have found over the years that I'm a better leader than a follower. So you, they brought you back on as a contractor, and how long did you work with them? 
I worked with them off and on until 1998 or 99 uh, when we finally cut ties. And it, honestly, they've been a client of Artitudes over the years three or four times, not for anything big, uh, because they are a French firm. So they do use a French design and marketing firm instead, but we'll help them out once in a while. How did you go about finding other clients? So the interesting thing about that is there were a lot of people in that layoff because with the being acquired by the French firm, uh, they had to meet certain revenue numbers, and that required them to lay some people off. And a lot of those people on the teams that I had worked with went to a little software company in Redmond called Microsoft. Not so little. <laughs> Not so little. And so I got a few phone calls saying, hey, we need some work, and we hear you're contracting now. So my very first contract other than uh, the company that I worked for, its name was ESCA. So other than ESCA, it came through Microsoft, and it was for the games group at Microsoft doing some map work on Flight Simulator 1995. I very quickly learned that I liked working for myself, and I liked getting these contracts. So I, I went through and found my clients or the people that I'd worked with before and where they had landed, and I was very quickly able to create clients out of them. What kind of organization within your own company that you had now started did you have to implement in order to actually have a business moving? Well, I was a sole proprietor, and I was working out of the attic of my house. It was really just me for a long time. So organization-wise, I mean, really, it was just me. I had to organize myself. But what was interesting about that is I had to create some processes and structure where I'm one of those people who re I rebel against process and structure. But I had to create it for myself so I could be successful. I had to go through and go, oh, geez, I got all this work done. Now I need to invoice them. Oh, I need to collect money from them. I had one client that took them three months to pay me. So I had to finally go stand in their lobby until they cut me a check. And for a sole proprietor, when you're working with the big guys, it, it's kind of difficult because you don't feel like you have the power to do that. So for me, it was about learning to own that power and learning to actually be a business person and not just somebody who says, sure, I'll do that for you. Give me some money. What was your biggest challenge about being a solopreneur? I mean, because that's a position in which you're really wearing every single hat in the organization. So what were some of your biggest challenges running that company as the sole proprietor? It was very hard for me to say no. Balance for me is a myth, and it always has been. I think you have to be fully in what you're doing at the moment. And I sometimes get lost in the moment and lost in what I'm doing. And I remember working for a company. I was working on a huge project, and I'd worked 28 hours in a row. And my husband came upstairs, and he pulled the plug in the computer. <laughs> so for me, it was about learning to have boundaries and learning that it was okay to say no, that the work would come in, and being confident in the fact that if I said no, it didn't necessarily mean there wasn't enough work. It was okay to say no and take care of myself, and the work would be there that was important. Now, how did your business continue to grow from there? So I continued as a sole proprietor for many years. I wanted to be a mom who was around, and we started having kids in 2001. But by 2004, uh, the company itself had grown so much that I was a sole proprietor hiring other contractors. So I had trouble with a contractor that I was working with that uh, owed child support in two different states, and he had written down that I was his employer when he was a contractor. He was a 1099 worker. I was not an employer whatsoever, but the IRS came after me. So right then and there, I realized that there's something to having a structure behind you, and I decided to incorporate and start hiring employees. So I incorporated in 2005 um, after being a solopreneur for 10 years. 
I incorporated and hired my very first employee in 2005, and we had space by 2006, and I was always already growing. Tell me about a little bit of, of that experience hiring your first employee. What did you learn as a leader now, as somebody who delegated, as somebody who was responsible for somebody else's pay? Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Let me first say my very first employee was a huge mistake. So I've <laughs> learned how not to hire over the years. I've had a couple of them, and I've gotten really good at hiring now and at company culture. It's something that Artitude is known for. But my very first employee stole from me. So it, it was a huge lesson that I can't trust everyone, and I can't trust everyone to do the job that they say that they're able to do. This in particular employee came to me from two different people in my life that I trusted implicitly that did not know each other. So I thought, hey, she's got to be perfect. I'll just hire her. And it was just a huge mistake. So the, the lessons I really learned uh, were to trust my gut because my gut had said, I'm not sure I like this person in the first place. Uh, but because these two people, one who was a mentor and one who was a dear friend, said you should hire this person, uh, I thought, okay, she's a sure thing. So not only learning to be a leader, but learning to trust my gut is really what came out of that. And then you continued to grow. So did you did you have this person on for quite some time, or did you replace them with somebody else? And then what was the um, journey of getting a couple more employees on? So I replaced her pretty quickly when I found out what was going on, uh, and that between her and my bookkeeper, they were taking money from me. Uh, so I replaced her, and I hired my by my third employee is my assistant, Carrie. So she's been around for quite some time, and she's just absolutely amazing. But I've, I've learned to hire on character. And one thing I tell other people who are hiring, skills can be taught. You need a base level skill, especially for us as a graphic design and marketing firm. We need people who have skills in that area, in that area. But skills can be taught in a lot of ways. It's really culture and character that count because you cannot change somebody's character. What is the culture of your company and how did you start at this early stage of, of, you know, bringing on employees and being able to build a culture? How did you start implementing that? We have a very creative culture and a culture that rewards individual achievement, but also team achievement. Uh, one thing we're known for is being a best place to work. We've won Puget Sound Business Journal. We won gold, very first place for best places to work. Last year, we won second place. Uh, in Seattle Business Magazine for the 100 Best Companies to Work For. I collected an award yesterday from the Association of Washington Businesses for the Better Workplace Award. We were first in our category as well. And those awards are so important to me because they show that we're doing right by our employees. I always say that happy employees make for happy clients. So my very first customers and my most important are the people who who are sitting in my office now doing the work, creating the solutions for our clients. Because if they're not happy and they're not taken care of, they can't take care of our customers. It's a culture that really rewards the people who work here, but it rewards them for being who they are and also contributing to the bottom line in such a way that we create a fun atmosphere and a place where people want to come to work. Well, give us a little example of what that actually looks like. So we have a disco ball out there. We have a jukebox that plays all the time. Um, Everyone has full health, dental, and vision insurance. We do a lot of fun events, whether it's Whirly Ball or we do scavenger hunts or we go to Sounders games, Seattle Sounders games. But we do things together as a team that reward the team. 
So, you know, it's not like we just all go out for happy hour or something like that, although they do that as well. But I tried very hard to support the team and make it a creative place to be. We've got a chalkboard wall, and every single month we have a new design on the chalkboard, and everybody gets to partake in that. So it's a creative place where it's creative not just in the work they do, but in the entire atmosphere. We have a Monday morning meeting every week. It's called the Artitude Monday, and we do arts and crafts. So it is a chance for every single person to showcase a craft, and it has nothing to do with computers and with design solutions for a client. Rather, we get our hands dirty. I mean, this last week, we made cupids out of toilet paper rolls and all sorts of glue and cotton balls and pipe cleaners and things like that. But it's really fun. And so I would imagine that once you're actually hiring on the people, they're, they're staying for quite some time. You know, we don't have a whole lot of attrition. And when we do, I understand when people need to move on. Uh, This millennial generation in particular, uh, they're known for staying maybe a max of three years because they want something new. That generation is going to have 13 careers in their lives, not even 13 jobs. But we get a lot of people who stay, and we get a lot of people who tell their friends about us. So that's the biggest compliment, I think, is when my employees tell their friends and their friends apply for a job here. Now, let's get back into the story of you building your company, you're building more and more team members, then something happened. What happened that changed how you run your company? Well, in 2008, I had a series of surgeries and one of them went wrong. And on June 1st, 2008, I went in for surgery to repair a previous surgery. I aspirated on the operating table, got pneumonia, and it turned into something called ARDS which is acute respiratory distress syndrome, and it's a 70% fatality rate. I was put into a medical coma for 21 days, and they didn't think I was going to make it. It was touch and go. My mom kept a journal, and there were things in there that said, doctor says she won't make it through the next two hours. So it it changed my life in a lot of ways. Uh, Before my coma and before my illness, I touched probably 85% of everything that came in the door, every project that came in the door, every client that came in the door. And afterwards, I was able to take a step back and realize that I didn't have to be the control freak that I'd always been, that things would succeed if I hired the right people and put them in the right places and gave them the right training and support. I want to touch upon that just a little bit and go deeper there because I think that's such a huge, huge pain point for a lot of entrepreneurs to be able to actually really delegate. Like there's there's a difference between saying, okay, I know I need to give this over to somebody and then you take it back over or you always have to have another look at something before it really goes out. But can you give some tips and some advice to the business owners and the professionals out there who uh, about delegation and what that really looks like and how you can practice that well? Well, it's really hard for me to give tips about that because before I was ill, before my illness took me out of my business for at least eight months, I couldn't hear anybody who told me that you need to delegate, that you need to not be such a control freak, that your type A is getting in the way. It's very hard to tell somebody that. But in hindsight, it's been the most important thing that's happened to me and to my business because I was able to take a step back and realize that if I give people the tools to actually do their jobs and I let them do it, they're more successful at it. They're much more, they're much happier and they do their job better than if I'm constantly over them. 
Uh, the micromanaging thing I have learned really doesn't work, and it doesn't work at all with the Generation X, which is my generation, and it doesn't work with the millennial generation either. They need the autonomy, and they need to prove that they have the ability to do it. So by giving my employees the power to do it, we've actually grown. I believe that I was my own worst enemy, and I was a stumbling block in that I needed to touch everything, and we couldn't grow by it being the Andrea show, which it was for a long time. Now it is Artitude, and I am part of that team instead of it being, oh, Andrea Houston's business, Artitude. It's now Artitude's design, oh, Andrea's the CEO. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. Okay, good. How would you describe your role in the company now, and what kind of leadership role do you have? You know, I'm the director of culture here. That's a big deal for me. But I also believe that I am a support system for everyone. So I'm a support person for all of our clients, but also all of our employees. I tell them that if something goes right, all the credit goes to you. But if something goes wrong, I'm the one who will fix it, or I'm the one who will take the fall for the team. Because I really, truly believe that somebody needs to be the last in line, and that somebody, it's my responsibility to be that person. It's changed the culture here as well in that people feel like they're very well supported, and they tell me that, but clients also feel like they're more taken care of. I was just spread way too thin. I remember in 2006, I was working on a lot of projects for a huge show at Microsoft, and I brought my team with me, but every single client came to me, and so they wouldn't go to my team. They'd all come to me, so I was completely overwhelmed and overloaded, and now my my entire staff takes care of our clients, and I am just in the background being their cheering section, or I'll come in if something needs to be fixed or if I need to help out an issue. What do you think has differentiated you from other graphic design companies out there? So our differentiator really is our philanthropic work. We are an outstanding design firm, and we've won awards for design, which are great. But I like all the philanthropy that we do. Uh, we donate a lot of money and services each year to organizations that help children. $50,000 a year goes to Olive Crest. We've done work for Casey Family Services. Habitat for Humanity, King County, was a very big client of ours. And we do lower rates for that. I also have my own nonprofit that teaches art in elementary schools. And we're actually, there's a meeting this week. We're going to start uh, teaching in a high school, an alternative high school as well. And they need art. For their kids. So giving back to the community, I say that our for-profit work funds our nonprofit work, and that has been our really big differentiator. People want to work for us because we have such a heart for giving back to the community. My theory is that we're given so much, and in particular, I've been, I was given my life back. I believe that it is my duty to give back to others. Well, you talked a little bit about your artitudes in action, and that's the, the art education in the elementary schools, right? Yes, it is. Can you tell me a little bit about what your philosophy is as far as being able to teach these kids art? You're actually teaching them like art history and practicing different parts of artistic design and all that sort of stuff. So that's got to have a massive impact on all the kids actually being able to fall in love with art as a, as a whole. Well, I would hope so. So many schools are taking art out of the schools because teachers just don't have time or resources to teach it anymore. They're so responsible for teaching the test scores now that art and music and some of the creative things that really feed the soul are coming out of the schools. So a lot of the schools will have an art docent program, but many of them don't have anyone to teach it. So we've created our own. We create the projects. 
we teach the, the teacher. We basically say whoever wants to teach this. And some of our clients even go into classrooms as well. And we will train them. We will provide all the supplies and the lesson plan. A lot of time we'll consult with the teacher to find out what kind of things they're teaching right now. Like the, one of the classes we did a couple weeks ago, they just learned about the color wheel. So we did something about complementary colors to get the kids in line with what they're learning in class, but also to give them a creative outlet to kind of experiment and learn something new. We love teaching art in schools mainly because the kids love when we're there. We get cheers sometimes when we come through the door. It's so rewarding, and my staff loves doing it, too. I don't get to go very often because everybody else wants to do it. Oh, yeah. what a great program. It's so fun, too. How have you grown as the CEO of your company from the get-go, from when you were a solopreneur to today? What, are, what have been the biggest growth and learning lessons for you? Uh, well, I've learned how to be a CEO because an entrepreneur is something very different than a CEO. I used to have to control everything. I think like I was saying before my coma, I controlled everything. I really did. But what I've learned is I can touch the different areas without controlling them. And when I let people do their jobs on their own, they do them better than if I'm trying to do them for them. So in reality, I've become a lot less of a control freak, which has colored every area of my life. The other thing for me, and this comes also from my illness, is I have a philosophy that every day is a good day. And it doesn't really matter what's happening as long as I'm above ground. Every day is a good day. I was stuck on a plane for well over 15 hours on Monday uh, in Newark, New Jersey on my way back from the Super Bowl. And every day is a good day. It was fine. I was there. I was going to get home. There wasn't anything wrong with it. And there was no way I could control it. I told my kids the other day, one of my little ones was having an issue. I said, 10% in life is what happens to you, and 90% is the way you react to it. You have a choice in how you react, and how you react can color your whole world. Talk about your family. You have two sons and a husband and a whole family life. Um, With running your business and overseeing the nonprofit that you have and all the boards that you sit on, how do you make time for it all? How How do you balance that? Well, my family is the most important thing in my life. They are more important than my business and the boards that I sit on and all the other activities I do. So I have changed my life in a lot of ways. My, we used to have an au pair or a nanny who was there full time. And then we have somebody who helps, but it's not the same. A couple years ago, I just decided I was going to be the one to walk my youngest to school every day. So now no meeting in my office for me starts before about 9 or 9.15 a.m. because I won't be here. It's more important for me to spend that solid time with my child than to work on my business all the time. So I've made it a priority. Like I said, I believe balance is a myth. You have to be fully where you are when you're there. And for my family especially, the time with them is so precious. I have two boys. One is 12 and one is 9. And having children was very hard for us. That's another story. But we did five years of infertility treatments before we ended up adopting both of our lovely, beautiful sons. And I have realized over the years that the time you spend with them is so important because the time you're not there, you will never get back. And the kids realize that as well. My oldest, is, as a 12-year-old, it's a little more difficult these days because he's fighting for his independence. But whatever time I get to spend with him is also vitally important. And it is for him, too. He'll say things like, Mom, I haven't had enough time with you. Can we go for a walk or can we do this? And I'll always drop whatever I'm doing and go with him. The same thing with my husband. I will be married 20 years this August. And my husband is the most wonderful person on earth. 
he's my favorite person, hands down, of everyone I know in my life. He's my favorite. But every Thursday night, without fail, we have date night. It doesn't matter if we're tired. We have a babysitter, and we go out every single Thursday night. And it's made such a huge difference in our lives to spend the time with each other. Andrea, can you share with us maybe a story or two about some of those moments over these years when you were just down and out, like when you really, uh, you know, I don't know how I'm going to move on or some big thing just blew up and you just kind of like fell and were fried and were at the end of your rope. And can you walk us through what happened and what you did to get back up? Well, I do remember one who was a dear friend and is still a dear friend. She'd been a friend of mine for 20 years before she came to work for me. And I do remember the day she quit and how I sat in my office and cried for about an hour straight. Uh, But then I sucked it up and I found somebody else who's been just as wonderful in that role as she was. So for me, it really is about attitude. So the down and out thing doesn't happen to me. Um, And I think it's a choice for me that it doesn't happen. If I have anything that's bothering me or if, you know, I rate my days on a scale to one to 10. And if, if I'm a five, somebody's died in my life. I am a very positive person. And if I have an eight day, I'll call my husband and say, hey, bring me up a little bit. Or I'll go spend an hour with one of my kids. But there's really nothing that brings me that far down. What do you do to stay smart and on top of being the CEO of your company? Do you, what do you do to make sure that you're constantly sort of working on top of your business? You know, I always say to people who are looking to start a business or who need help uh, learning how to run a business to gather your tribe around you. I say it's so important to have advisors. And I have a business coach and I have a banker and I have a CPA and I have a lawyer, but I also have a peer group. So for years, I was a member of Vistage, uh, which is a peer networking group that's out there uh, where you meet once a week or once a month, excuse me. And you sit down and you talk about your issues because honestly, there's no peer within my business in a real way. I can't talk about HR issues or payroll issues or things that are driving me crazy about a certain employee with other employees. And my husband doesn't necessarily always get it, which is fine, but I need a peer group. So I was a member of Vistage for many years, and then I I, uh, am a member of another peer group now, and we meet once a month. And we talk about business issues, and we get really good perspectives from each other. I don't think I would be successful without my tribe, my group of advisors around me. Any books that you have read um, throughout your business career that have really impacted the way that you actually run your company? You know, Good to Great is one of those books I always go back to. It's a fabulous book because when you say, do you have the right people on the bus, people understand what you mean if they've read the book. Outliers is also a book that I have always loved, and I think it's a really good business book. Uh, One other is by Ana Liotta. Uh, She's actually a friend of mine, but it's about generations. And that has really colored how I work with the people that are on my team, but also with my clients. Because you can't have the same conversation with somebody who's 22 that you're having with somebody who's 70. And that one in particular has been so, so valuable to me over the years. How do you spend your time these days? What are you doing? What do I do? You know, I work and I'm a mom. Uh, but in the business, I really do work on business development. I can close 90% of the time because I can speak so well about the business. But I also, what I love to do, and I don't get to do as much as I want to, is the creative concepting. So if I get a chance to get in a room with a client who has no clue how to say what they want to say, 
that makes me the happiest because I can spend my time crafting their message and figuring out how to visually represent them via content and visuals in such a powerful way. That's my favorite thing to do. But the other things I do are, you know, I, I sit on a number of boards. I'm very passionate about children, so I'm the board president of All of Crest, and we help foster and abuse children in the state of Washington. There are also in a number of other states, but I, I'm with the Pacific Northwest branch. Um, I sit on another board. Uh, it's called the 40, and it's the alumni group of the 40 Under 40 in Puget Sound. And then I sat for three years on the Key Bank board uh, with their Key for Women program. I spent a lot of time trying to give back where I have expertise. What is your vision for Artitude's design? You know, I, I do want to continue to grow, uh, but at a manageable rate. We've created a couple new lines of business in the past few years. I opened a second company in 2011 called Visual Quill, and we do marketing services for authors and publishers. Amazon, Montlake is a client of ours, um, Harcourt Mifflin is a client of ours. We do a lot of work with independent authors, getting their books into the e-publishing market. We also create book trailers. Uh, we're all over Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. And those are fun because we get to do a lot of fun video work that has nothing to do with corporate communications. Rather, it's business consumer instead of business to business. And then this past year, a couple months ago, I started a company called MindFuel Labs. And we are doing online training and metric solutions for large companies who have to train large groups of employees with vastly different psychographics and demographics. And that's been fun, too. It's fun to get my brain going in different directions. So I'm, I'm looking for different lines of business that fit within visual communication, but also add to our breadth instead of going as deep as we've gone in the past, which we've done very well at. We're very well known for creating impactful presentations for clients, both in PowerPoint, Keynote, and also, I guess, a third venue would be uh, video. We do a lot of that. That's really the tip of our spear. But it's been nice to kind of get creative with some other solutions. How has it been creating and generating these new business ideas and still running your company? I love it, actually. I, I have that entrepreneurial spirit in me. And like I said, it's very different to be an entrepreneur and a CEO because a CEO, you have, you have to run the day-to-day. But an entrepreneur, you just create new ideas all the time. This is the best of both worlds for me. You know, it's, it's quite funny because oftentimes you don't find the same person who has both of those skill sets. It's usually, you know, the entrepreneur who, you know, is a starter and then the CEO who will end up actually managing and, and taking care of the whole business. So the fact that you're able to, to have both of those skill sets, it's pretty interesting. I love to be challenged, and I love to challenge myself. I mean, I speak a lot of different languages, too, and I'm always looking to do something more like that. I love to touch every part of my brain if I can, and it keeps me interesting, but it also keeps me interested. Andrea, I want to close this conversation by asking, what do you see in the years ahead for you? What is the impact that you really want to make here? Oh, the impact I really want to make. I have a lot of things there. I want to continue as a best place to work. I want to be a company. I want Artitudes to be a company where people want to come and they want to tell their friends about. Like I said, the philanthropic work is really what keeps me going. The fact that we can help kids, the fact that we can help people achieve their own dreams, that's where I'd really like to go with the. I have a 10-year plan of my own to be an executive director someplace, to get Artitudes to a point where I can just sit on the board and somebody else will be running it and then I can be an executive director of a nonprofit someplace that helps children. 
Well, Andrea, thank you so much for sharing your story with us here today. Um, lots of really great, interesting stories in there. Lots of great nuggets to take home. And uh, I know that uh, our listeners and myself are going to be able to take back, take back to our businesses. So thank you so much for sharing. Well, thank you so much. What an enjoyable conversation. But... And that was the great Andrea Houston. What I love so much in that interview that I think came out really, really clearly was Andrea's ability to completely let go and delegate effectively. And because she was able to do that, because she was able to, in her own words, not be a control freak anymore, she really was able to grow. I mean, even now she was talking about all these different companies that she's opening and these different boards that she gets to sit on. And to be honest, that stuff could not happen unless she got out of her own way. So that was just such a huge takeaway that I got as far as really being able to only get bigger, that you can only have a bigger, bigger impact and live and do business bigger when you truly get out of your way and let go of the controlling nature. So really great lesson for me. Thank you so much for listening today. Once again, please share with me what you thought about this. If there was a little nugget in there that you took away, something that really hit close to home for you, come tell me about it. Either shoot me an email at katie at bizwomenrock.com or go to the show notes for Andrea Houston on bizwomenrock.com and go leave a comment there so everyone can see. I would love to hear about your experience. I would love to hear about what really hit home for you. And if you haven't already, don't forget to go to iTunes and leave us a rating, leave us a comment. The more interaction that we have there, the easier it is for millions and millions and millions of people all around the world to be able to find us. So I really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. I will see you at the next episode. And until then, keep on rocking. 